It's time for Legally Speaking, joined by Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, always good to be here. Lots to talk about on the show today. I'm looking, I see drug trafficking, I see duress, I see an acquittal of, a, of an accused person. What's the story here? And, and does that say Big Noof? Big Noof, indeed. <laughs> it's never ending. What is Big Noof? <laughs> so, I, I, I must say, unless somehow the Ontario Court of Appeal was able to work a beaver into the story, you could hardly imagine a, a, a more Canadian central actor. Big Noof. <laughs> uh, so... This was a case that just came out from the Ontario Court of Appeal upholding uh, an acquittal uh, for a man who was charged with trafficking drugs into a jail uh, in Ontario. And there was no doubt that he trafficked the drugs into the jail or tried to. He acknowledged uh, that he tried to do it. Uh, The jail was Central East Correctional Centre. And uh, this man's uh, only defense, which uh, was successful at trial and upheld by the Court of Appeal, was the uh, defense of duress. Uh, and indeed, we have that defense in Canada, both uh, in a section of the criminal code and at common law. And here's the fact pattern involving Big Noof. So the accused man, who was described as somebody uh, who was no stranger to jails, had been in and out of jail for the last seven years or so. Uh, but significantly, his brother wound up in jail for the first time and was on the same unit he was. Also on the unit was, you, you guessed it, Big Noof. Uh, Big Noof, uh, according to the accused, uh, had uh, demanded that the accused uh, help smuggle drugs into the jail. And that if he didn't do this, Big Noof would... Uh, take it out on him or his brother, who was also on the same unit. The accused said he took that seriously. He was familiar with Big Noof. He'd witnessed him in the past uh, create makeshift weapons and assault other inmates. Um, he re- he uh, told the judge about a previous occasion where he wanted to take over the role of being a cleaner. I guess that had some benefit on the unit. And when the current cleaners didn't give it up, he arranged to have those people assaulted. Uh, and he believed that uh, Big Noof was associated with the Hell's Angels, so not somebody to be trifled with. Yes. So the accused said, look, what happened is Big Noof arranged for him to get released by providing a surety, uh, and then the surety uh, uh, had him go and ingest a bunch of drugs in balloons and then turn himself into the uh, police to get himself brought back into the jail. Uh, and indeed, he was coming back into the jail, and the drugs, which were secreted uh, in various orifices of his body, uh, were detected. Uh, and uh, they put him into a uh, segregation cell to monitor him to see whether those things, the drugs would turn up. Uh, and then he believed one of the balloons burst and began, the accused did, yelling out that he did not want to die, burn, or blow up. Uh, and so <laughs> that's how the drugs were discovered on him. And so that brought the case to the issue of, is that duress? Um, And the way that works uh, is that uh, a judge needs to determine, first of all, whether there is an air of reality to the defense of duress, which would have a number of components to it. Uh, It would include, for example, there has to be a a threat of causing uh, harm to the accused or to a third party, the brother uh, or him. A person must reasonably believe that the threat could be carried out. This was the one which was most argued about. Was there no safe avenue of escape? And that's the one which uh, produced much of the argument. But ultimately, the judge found and the Court of Appeal accepted uh, that 
even though the man who tried to smuggle the drugs in could have tried running away or phoned the police, his view was, look, my brother is still there with big noof in the unit. Even if I escape, my brother may wind up being stabbed. <laughs> and then there has to be other elements like proportionality and so on to what you're doing. You, you couldn't, uh, you know, commit a, a murder on threat of somebody, you know, being assaulted, for example. Uh, and once uh, an accused person shows that there is an air of reality to the defense, like there's some elements of or some evidence of all of the required elements of it, it's then over to the crown to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that one of the elements doesn't exist. Uh, and uh, in this case, the judge accepted the evidence of the man about the uh, his concern concerning Big Noof, uh, and uh, given his previous experience with him, his use of violence and so on, uh, and uh, also accepted the evidence of a uh, police officer who testified uh, that in that uh, prison in Ontario, uh, violence uh, and injury were a daily occurrence, uh, and uh, that guards were not capable of stopping that from happening, uh, and that indeed, if somebody went to the police, they would be viewed as a rat and would be subject to increased violence, which again, the guards would be incapable of uh, stopping. Yes. Uh, and so based on all of that, and the fact that the judge accepted the man's evidence, despite an argument by the Crown uh, that uh, the story read like, quote, a recipe for other inmates to claim they were coerced into similar schemes, close quote, mm -hmm. um, the uh, judge accepted and the Court of Appeal upheld the acquittal uh, on that unique fact pattern, which included that element of the brother on the unit with the threatening big noof so that you couldn't just say, you know, run away or call the police for help, uh, because if you did so, uh, the evidence here was that uh, Big Noof uh, or his associates would be capable of uh, harming uh, the accused brother, and there was nothing the uh, guards at the institution were able to do to stop this daily pattern of violence there. Uh, and so the defense of duress in Canada is alive and well, uh, both at common law and in the criminal code, and uh, this is a uh, uh, most recent example of how that can apply uh, when somebody does something which is and this is the rationale for it, sort of morally involuntary, right? Hey, I don't want to be blowing up or dying with drugs up my bum, but no. I don't do it. My brother's going to get stabbed. And so here I am. Uh, and uh, we don't convict people on that basis. And uh, indeed, we didn't hear. An 11-year sentence I'm reading in our next story for the trafficking in car fentanyl upheld on appeal. Now, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. You're the expert, not me. But 11 years for any uh, drug offense seems quite excessive given what we normally see. Is it not? Well, it's a substantial sentence. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And particularly here, you had an accused person who had no previous criminal record, mm -hmm. uh, who pled guilty to the offense who himself had an opioid addiction. Yeah. Uh, but despite all of those factors here, the judge took into account uh, some other aggravating factors, including uh, the really serious nature of carfentanil. It's, you know, carfentanil is uh, many times stronger than fentanyl, as if that wasn't dangerous enough. Mm -hmm. um, and here, the fact pattern involved uh, the accused creating a... Uh, dark web pages to sell fentanyl and carfentanil using the Tor network, uh, and then uh, setting up ads to encourage people to come and purchase it, some of which had these comments in it. One was, they described, he described his operation as, quote, one of the premium fentanyl vendors in Western Canada. <laughs> and then 
another uh, tagline, car fentanyl, when used responsibly, is proven to be very safe. <laughs> the, the, the word responsibly is carrying a lot of weight in that sentence. Yes, indeed. Anyways, that, that was pretty aggravating. The, the guy, interesting, interestingly, was uh, accepting payment ultimately by Bitcoin, uh, which uh, there was a substantial Bitcoin uh, uh, accumulated selling drugs. He was taking them and selling them and shipping them by Canada Post Express Post. Uh, at the time, the judge said the Bitcoin the fellow had accumulated was worth $83,000, wow. and by the time of trial, it had gone up to $239,000. Wow. That might have gone the other direction this week, apparently, on uh, uh, Elon Musk's comments on Bitcoin. Indeed. But a fair bit of money. And the judge took into account uh, here uh, that uh, the person had engaged in this highly lucrative uh, endeavor uh, that he had put Canada Post employees at risk of grievous uh, harm, because, of course, having this stuff even touch your skin can cause uh, extreme problems. And so he was risking the uh, health and well-being of Canada Post employees using this uh, online system to uh, take orders and ship it. Uh, and then uh, the uh, judge also took into account what he found to be the just complete disregard for the life and safety of people uh, all over the place. He was uh, shipping these drugs uh, all over the world to various uh, places. He described it as a highly lucrative criminal endeavor with indifference to human life. Uh, and so uh, the result of that uh, was an 11-year sentence that was appealed to the BC Court of Appeal on various arguments, including that, hey, isn't that language would be demonstrably unfit, like just, hey, isn't that just way out of the range for these things? Mm -hmm. And uh, no, indeed, the uh, Court of Appeal took into account all of those factors, including uh, his age, he was only 38, no record, he had a child, uh, the guilty plea, despite all of that, uh, given the sophistication of the operation and just how dangerous the substances uh, involved were, that 11-year sentence was upheld. And so, you know, we, we sometimes we talk about in the, the criminal law the concept of uh, general deterrence, sort of the idea that other people might learn of the sentences imposed for some particular kind of wrongdoing mm -hmm. uh, and thereby uh, discourage other people from doing the same thing. Uh, and that's a very substantial sentence, particularly for somebody with no previous criminal record. Uh, and uh, I guess I can say if, there, if it's not having, the, that is to say, sentences of that length are not having a general deterrence uh, uh, effect on uh, people uh, selling these substances, it's hard to imagine uh, what would, and uh, maybe we need to scratch our head about whether um, sentences do indeed have that uh, effect, uh, because uh, that's a, a significant time in prison uh, for selling some very dangerous material. Uh, I guess the only way to look at that would be people don't think they're going to be caught, yeah. uh, or maybe they're not flipping through the uh, most recent uh, BC Court of Appeal decisions or indeed listening to uh, to Legally Speaking. All right, let's take a quick break here. We'll continue with Legally Speaking, Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers as we get back right after this break. Our next story I find to be a very interesting one, Michael, because it deals with uh, an area of the, of the practice of law itself, terms like an articled student ordinary persons might not be familiar with. Take us through this next one because it's, there are some troubling elements here. You're exactly right. They certainly are troubling. 
um, and I think a lot of bad judgment uh, wrapped up in this case. But the way it works is if you want to become a lawyer, you need to, of course, go to law school and graduate, but you then uh, aren't immediately released on the uh, public to begin practicing law. Um, People who have finished law school uh, need to then uh, obtain what's called an articling position, which is like an apprenticeship. Hmm. Um, And it would ordinarily go on for uh, about a year. And during the course of that uh, articling uh, time or apprenticeship, uh, the uh, articling student would uh, do work under the supervision of a principal, sort of a senior lawyer who was supposed to give them some guidance and training. Uh, and then the uh, student would also undertake a, a training course offered by the Law Society. It's called the Professional Legal Training Course. And then they would write some exams to show that they've uh, absorbed all of that. Uh, and uh, ultimately, at the end of it, the Law Society would make a determination as to whether somebody was uh, fit for call and admission. Are they of good character? Do they have the required uh, training and skill and so on yes. uh, to protect the public so you didn't have somebody who was unscrupulous or dishonest or uh, poorly trained uh, out there doing uh, real harm? And so the particular case that I was going to talk about uh, is a case involving a uh, one of these articling relationships where the uh, law graduate got a job as an articling uh, student at a law firm in Vancouver. Uh, and then, uh, unfortunately, it looks like the uh, things started to go badly in terms of the relationship between the principal, the senior lawyer who was employing her, and the student. Yes, uh, There might have been some bad judgment on the student's part, uh, including drinking too much at a office function and then complaining about her salary and a colleague. That's probably not smart. Nope. Uh, but... That's not that's not uh, the route to uh, win friends and influence people. Uh, but then the uh, principal uh, who was employing her found posted online a, a blog, law blog. Uh, and uh, the principal thought that the law blog uh, had material on it similar to what the law firm had and thought somehow that was uh, uh, going to damage their business in some fashion. Um, but then rather than asking her about that or for some explanation or whether she created it or what the origin of that was, uh, the principal decided to terminate the articling student uh, in the harshest possible terms, accusing her of deceitful conduct, dishonesty, um, reporting her to the law society, and, and then suing her, <laughs> claiming oh, wow. that she'd engaged in improper conduct and theft of things, all of these just terrible allegations. Uh, And it resulted in the student, of course, losing her job there. Uh, Her marriage deteriorated. Uh, She couldn't get other employment. Uh, She was uh, living in her car for a period of time. It just ruined her life, basically. Um, She wasn't able to get another articling position. Without that, uh, she was not able to become a lawyer because you need to complete that uh, term of sort of apprenticeship before you could do that. And so it had just this uh, really serious impact on her. Um, And then when the law firm, in addition to firing her in that fashion, decided to sue her, it resulted in her bringing a counterclaim for wrongful dismissal. Yes. Uh, which succeeded. The law firm's claim of uh, you know theft and all these things went nowhere. Those were rejected by the trial judge. But the law student succeeded and wound up with a very substantial award against the law firm. But the law firm didn't know to leave well enough alone, decided to appeal again that decision to the BC Court of Appeal. Um, uh, and that then prompted a cross appeal by the law student saying, hey, I should have got punitive damages and he didn't award me, didn't award me enough uh, by way of damages for what happened. Hmm. 
the law firm and the principal's uh, appeal were dismissed by the Court of Appeal, but then they used this language describing how the uh, the principal, the senior lawyer, had acted, describing the conduct uh, that he had engaged in as, quote, high-handed, malicious, arbitrary, or highly reprehensible uh, misconduct that departs to a marked degree from ordinary standards of decent behavior, right? That was, uh, you know, hard to imagine harsher language out of the Court of Appeal. Indeed. Uh, and then uh, increased the amount of damages awarded uh, by $100,000, taking into account the fact that this woman's, the articling student's um, ability to complete her articles and become a lawyer uh, was uh, stopped. She never hasn't been able to complete that or practice. So she was awarded, the Court of Appeal increased the damages by $100,000 for that. Uh, and then also uh, added on a, an award of $25,000 uh, by way of punitive damages uh, on the basis that they found that that conduct was high-handed, malicious, arbitrary, and all those uh, various things which would justify uh, punitive damages. And so, I don't know, I guess there are a few takeaways from this uh, really unfortunate uh, state of affairs, right? Uh, you know, first of all, uh, it's, I've got to say, very disappointing as a member of the legal profession that, you know, somebody would engage in behavior found to have been malicious, arbitrary, re- reprehensible, and so on. That's really uh, not an acceptable state of affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other takeaway, I must say, having read this entire account of this unfortunate uh, uh, relationship is the lack of perhaps judgment uh, in terms of continuing to pursue this thing in court. Uh, right. Not only did the uh, law firm and the senior lawyer fire this articling student in the way uh, the Court of Appeal has uh, described there, you know, claiming that she was deceitful and dishonest and all of this, mm-hmm. uh, but then in addition, suing her <laughs> and then having failed uh, in that effort at trial, carrying on <laughs> to the Court of Appeal. And uh, I must say, it, just reading the entire exercise causes me to you know, shake my head about uh, the, the wisdom of how this entire thing was dealt with from start to finish. Um, you know, I've got to say on any uh, given day, uh, some of my uh, time is occupied uh, giving uh, advice to people about when they should not be pursuing things in court. Yes. Uh, you know, lawyers have a professional obligation to, you know, uh, I think to do that and not pursue claims that uh, perhaps don't have merit. But quite beyond that, you would have uh, hoped that somebody would have uh, uh, provided some uh, counsel to the senior lawyer in this case uh, and the law firm about the the wisdom of uh, continuing to pursue the fashion pursue something like this all the way up to the court of appeal uh, because the result of that is now this court of appeal decision uh, describing uh, the conduct in that way uh, and you know um, it, it just strikes me that this uh, the entire affair is uh, uh, demonstrative of some very bad judgment in terms of not only uh, handling uh, appropriately the uh, challenges with somebody who would be in a vulnerable position like an articling student, uh, but then to uh, carry on with, you know, reports to the law society and civil claims for theft and um, all of this, uh, it just strikes me as uh, really unfortunate. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, other members of the profession are uh, reading carefully uh, the uh, the judgment from the uh, Court of Appeal, and uh, uh, hopefully it provides some guidance to, uh, in, you know, in everything that we do, try to 
treat, to treat people with uh, some higher degree of uh, respect and you know bearing in mind um, it seems to me the just real big power imbalance that would exist in that kind of a relationship right yes um, you know the uh, somebody who's a, a articling student working for a, a senior lawyer uh, you know they're dependent on the person uh, you know to be able to complete their professional training and as we saw in this case um, particularly where there are, you know, allegations made of deceit and dishonesty and and so on. It, it's really not hard to imagine uh, how that could be, uh, you know, devastating to a young uh, person trying to get going in the uh, in the profession. And, and as we saw here, it just completely disra- dis, you know, disrailed uh, this uh, person's uh, ambitions, and it cost her, her, you know, marriage and employment and uh, and all of that. So, um, you know. I'm sure the uh, the damages will go some way uh, down that road, but um, to repair that. But uh, boy, oh boy, what a uh, an unfortunate uh, uh, tale of I think bad judgment uh, from start to finish. Indeed, Michael Mulligan, we always appreciate the benefit of your knowledge and insight on these and all other matters. Thank you so much. Until next week. Thanks so much for having me. Stay safe, and uh, I always uh, have a great time doing it. Absolutely.